Welcome to the Trusted Advisor Podcast brought to you by Iroquois Group. Iroquois is your trusted advisor in all things insurance. This week, you're listening to the special segment of Charlie's Corner, hosted by our very own Charlie Venus. Welcome to today's Charlie's Corner Podcast. Today, we have as our guest, John Woods. John is the National Practice Group Leader and Vice President for Burns & Wilcox. Prior to joining Burns & Wilcox in December 2019, John spent 34 years with several carriers, primarily specializing in commercial auto and transportation risk. He started with Safeco Insurance and spent considerable time with National Interstate Insurance, Carolina Casualty, and Nationwide Insurance. John hails from Philadelphia and currently resides in Scottsdale, Arizona with his wife, Sherry, and their two golden doodles. Charlie, thank you for having me, and I look forward to our discussion. John, I want to start by asking you to give a a quick general overview of the the commercial auto market focused on profitability um, mainly, but then we can talk about market capacity and coverage availability. Well, the profit part of the equation is easy to talk about because there isn't any (laughs) and, and hasn't been any for the last 11 years, 2019 commercial auto space ran a 109.4 combined and lost over $4 billion. And and the reality is it just hasn't improved since then. Six months ago, the market was pretty steady. You know, there there really wasn't a lot of people entering or exiting the market. But I'll tell you, over the last couple of months, we started to see a few people come into the market primarily on the program space, you know, changing things up a little bit. So uh, we'll see what happens over time. Now, just for clarity, when you say program space, are you talking something like Amazon DSP, FedEx, those types of programs or, or something else? No, we're, we're actually seeing programs put together by basically investment groups and their MGA type operations. They typically have a focus you know, they enter the space, they're typically very competitive on their rate structures. They are focused on risk selection, but they, they do tend to be say, much more aggressive than carriers that have been in the space for years. You know, you've seen a lot of activity in the last, you know, four to six months. Is that increasing of the available capacity in the auto market from where we've been for the last, say, two years? I think from a general perspective, not really. But if you're talking about specific classes of business with very well-defined risk characteristics, yes, those particular spaces tend to be offering a little bit more capacity. We'll talk about some of those, I think, further down in our conversations. One of them being the Amazon last mile delivery, I think, is a perfect example of things that we're seeing today that we haven't seen over the last several years. Oh, okay. From a minted market standpoint, uh, do you have any, uh, you know, any comments on that? Because what I see on my end is that there just are not a lot of admitted markets that are very aggressive in auto at all. Maybe even using the term aggressive is not the right terminology, just that they don't really even want to participate in heavy fleet operations. Charlie, I kind of define it maybe slightly differently. What I look at it is you have your standard carriers, and then you have your more what I'll call ENS type carriers. I agree with you. Standard carriers are typically not ones that like to play in this space because of the challenges from a profit perspective. Transportation is really a class of business. You either have to be all in 
or out. You can't dabble in it. And I think a lot of standard carriers have typically dabbled in it and realized that there wasn't the space for them and then got out of it. On the ENS side, most of these carriers write both on admitted and not admitted paper, depending upon the state. So I don't look at it from the perspective that admitted markets aren't playing. They are playing. They're playing for these ENS carriers in the states that allow you to write on admitted paper. Does that answer your question, Charlie? Yes. And, and what do you see in, in terms of the availability of market capacity for smaller fleets, say under 10 units versus something 10 plus or 20 plus? Again, I think that goes back to carriers, the carriers that have had success in the non-fleet business, and, and we'll use non-fleet, let's say for the purposes here is 10 units and under. The people that have done really well at that continue to expand their marketplace, but really focus on profitability because I think it really has been the part of the market that has been challenged the most. But there are carriers out there that do it very, very well, and they continue to look to grow that business. There are other carriers that write both um, non-fleet and fleet business. And I think what they found is that they're having a lot more success on the fleet side and probably downplaying their desire to write binding business going forward. I I don't want to speak specifically to carriers, but there are some well-known carriers that are in that second space that are really moving away from binding and suggesting that they want to focus more on the mid-fleet and the large fleet. Now, how much of that do you believe is just that those non-fleets that the carriers just can't get enough premium to support covering you know, all the large losses that we're seeing on the auto side? There's so many million-dollar-plus verdicts out there. Is that one of the drivers or the main driver? Oh, it certainly is. It certainly is one of the main drivers. It's a space where those risks come and go very frequently for a variety of reasons, whether it's rates that they can't afford, whether it's other issues within the space in which they play that they can't do right. And so they, they end up leaving the market. So carriers are constantly having to deal with that. You know, secondly, you're right, the, the rates for these risks have grown exponentially. Uh, and that's all driven by lack of profit on the carrier side. People have heard this term thrown out there, social inflation. How much does that play into the overall profitability issue on the auto side? Well, it's it's absolutely huge. Everybody relates social inflation to these nuclear verdicts. Everybody deserves. Uh, and, and I use the old story, you know, when I first started in the industry, you know, if a tractor trailer ran over somebody's toe, you'd settle it for ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. Nowadays, that same tractor trailer runs over that same person's toe, and it's like hitting the lottery. There's no more of these, you know, reasonable judgments. Everybody's striking out after the million dollar limits. And that is just exactly what social inflation is. It doesn't really have to deal with damages anymore. It really just has to do with how much can you get. Do you have any statistics? I've seen some that um, attorney involvement on auto claims is up somewhere around 40%. Do you see that as being a reasonable facts? And is that adding to this whole social inflation issue? Charlie, I'd be surprised it's that slow, to be honest with you. Attorneys now are funding 
clients uh, in order to get them to go to court because they know that they'll get paid back and they'll be able to hit these home runs. Uh, you know, it used to be that attorneys used to focus on things like med mal because that was that was the big ticket number, right? But then they really realized it takes a lot of work to take a med mal claim to court. And then they looked over at commercial auto and they go, wow, this doesn't take too much. You know, you got big truck, small car, you got injury. The facts are the facts and I can hit a home run. So a lot of those attorneys that used to focus on claims of a different nature have now migrated to the commercial auto space because they know it's almost like it's a never ending pool of large judgments. So when you're seeing all these large judgments, what is that doing to the umbrella market for these fleets? It used to be $1 million or half a million dollars was the working wear, right? For these auto risks. Now, $2 million, $3 million has almost become the working wear. So while there tends to be quite a bit of capacity in the excess market or the umbrella market for commercial auto, it takes a lot more players in order to fill out these towers. And obviously, the cost has gone up for this because these carriers, they're the ones that are getting hit with these large judgments you know, as well even more so than the primary. Yes, the primary is going to pay out a million, but these excess players, these umbrella carriers, you know, they're getting hit for 10, 20, 30, 40, $50 million at a time. Um, so the capacity is there. It takes more carriers and it costs more money. So what you would typically see, you would see the, the first primary million, then you would see a buffer layer of maybe 1 million or 2 million, and then somebody attach above that for three to five million. And then if you needed uh, higher limits, another carrier or two above that, if you were, you were looking to get to 10. You can certainly play it out that way. But a lot of carriers that I'm seeing, they're not necessarily afraid to lay out 5 million. It used to be that they would lay out 10 or 15 million. They've really cut that back, but they'll play in that $5 million layer. You could get a $1 million primary, you could put a $5 million on top of that, and then maybe another $5 million on top of that. It all depends on the carrier and what they want to do and what the price looks like. But there are a lot of people out there that say, I'd rather have you know, that 2 or $3 million buffer before I jump on with $5 million. Other carriers are more than happy to put up $5 million, but it comes at a cost, Charlie. Yeah, they're just going to pay for it. Yeah. Now, when you look at the increased cost of insurance and what we're experiencing recently with the, the increased cost of fuel, particularly commercial auto fleet operations, I mean, they're just seeing huge increases in their cost. Do you have any data as to what this is doing to them from a business standpoint and how many of them can survive in this type of inflationary marketplace? Well, I think that that's one of the reasons that some carriers are focusing more on the on the larger fleets because they have the financial stability, capacity, and wherewithal to weather this storm long term. Uh, well, maybe I should say more in the intermediate term. Uh, time will tell. I don't have any statistics, Charlie, but it's very clear that it's squeezing the margins. I mean, not only do you have fuel costs rising, not only do you have insurance premiums rising, although they are starting to moderate a little bit uh, from what they have over the last few years, not suggesting they're going down, uh, but they're not going up at the rate that they used to. And, 
And in some respects, some of them are staying, I'll say, relatively flat within that 5%, 6% range. But you got wage inflation, you know, these truckers now, in order to get them to sign on, because everybody needs drivers, they're having to pay significantly more wages. The truckers are getting squeezed from every end. So one can only assume that their margins are going down. Rates are going up but not probably nearly as much as the costs are. You mentioned earlier with some of this capacity coming into the marketplace that they were uh, focused on these Amazon DSPs, FedEx, and other last mile delivery operations. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because, you know, here at Iroquois, we do see a lot of those opportunities coming from our member agents. I use it as an example. I wouldn't say the market is flush with people that are (laughs) striving after those but I think more are willing to look at them now. When they first started out, and I'll use Amazon as an example, everybody clamored after them, but then they quickly realized that the results were disaster. So a lot of carriers withdrew from that market space. As they've gotten some experience, as Amazon has gotten better control over these, more people have been willing to enter the market. You know, We talked about one, and while I certainly want to support you know, Burns and Wilcox, the wholesale side of the space, there is a market out there that's writing it directly with retailers. And I don't mind saying it's Berkeley, uh, Mid-Atlantic Group, and you guys are aware of that. And I will tell you in Texas, there have been several programs lately that have popped up, small MGA types that have gotten investor backing in order to go after certain classes of business. We're seeing a lot more of that now than we have over the last several years, whether they're going after NAFTA type business or they're going after other specific types of business, but it's very well controlled, very well defined. That's what they're targeting. And I lay Amazon in that same type of space. So that could be something for the short-term future that we see people coming into the marketplace, but with a very, very specific focus on what they want to write. Yeah, I think so. The rates have become very attractive to carriers. You know, at one point in time, and I'm probably going to date myself, you're probably looking at tractor trailer rates, you know, five, six, seven thousand $7,000 a unit. Well, now you're lucky to touch one for twelve dollars or $13,000 a unit. Most of them are north of that. Now insurance carriers are going, oh, I can get eighteen, dollars $25,000 a unit. I think I can make money at that. So I'll define this program and I'll write it for that type of money. It is more competitive than the general market might price that thing. So these programs don't tend to last very long. A couple of years, they're in and out because they realize that maybe that attractive price just wasn't attract- as attractive enough. If they make money and other people start coming in at a cheaper price, then they feel they can't get enough to, to get the return that they need to get. Great point. Absolutely. And move on to something else. Yep. So geographically, and, and this, is, this is anecdotal, but you know, we have a lot of agents up in the, in the mid-Atlantic and in the Northeast. And particularly when you get to the Northeast, even when you go to the ENS market, the availability of auto markets seems to be pretty sparse. Is that truly accurate that it's much tougher to find markets up there? Charlie, it is. It's not been a historical hotbed for transportation carriers to write business for a number of reasons. You know, the New Yorks, the New Jersey's speak for themselves. The, typically, unless you get up into, into Northwestern New York, the performance has been very poor, regardless of the rate structure. There's a lot of business there, so it's been attractive to carriers, but it's not performed well. 
as you start to get up more in, into the New England area, there is a fair amount of business, but not a huge amount. And carriers have still found it troubling to make money, you know, whether it's because of the weather conditions, whether it's because of congested traffic, whether it's because they're going up and down, you know, the mountains of New Hampshire and Vermont. There's any number of reasons, but it's always been a challenging geographic territory for a carrier to write. You tend to find a lot more standard carriers willing to write that type of business up there than you will find ENS carriers. Well, yeah, that's interesting and, uh, and, and great analysis on all the, all the issues that you find up there. Thanks for listening to this edition of Charlie's Corner, brought to you by Iroquois Group. I am Edwin K. Morris, and I invite you to join us for the next edition of the Trusted Advisor Podcast.